Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 11. That's page 850, or if you've got a large print, 1011. Mark chapter 14. Let's listen to God's words. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of anointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the anointment wasted like that? This anointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Amen. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, and verses 1, verses 1 to 11. Friends, as we look at these verses together, the thing to know as we begin is that with God, things are not always as they seem. With God, things are not always as they seem. Sometimes the opposite of what you think is happening, is happening. And we know this, don't we? We know this already as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know how it works. It is the meek who will one day inherit the earth. It is the poor who are blessed, the poor in spirit. It is the mourning, the hungry, who will be filled. Sometimes the opposite of what we think is happening is happening. And here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, we learn that when it comes to God and money, everything is not as it seems. When it comes to God and money, everything is not as it seems. I think this is one of the most extraordinary stories in all of Scripture. It's one of the most beautiful. What is the Lord Jesus worth? 
What is the Lord Jesus Christ worth? Mark shows us here in what we have in front of us in this episode, he shows us different people putting a price on Jesus. And and the way that they do that and the kind of price that they put on Jesus is intended to shine a light on the kind of valuation that you and I put on Jesus. Who are we like in this story? What kind of price would you put on him? I think there's a great challenge for us here because as the words trip off our tongue, we want to say, don't we, Jesus is priceless. Now, as those words trip off our tongue, we are forced to look very closely at somebody who did actually regard him as priceless and to look very closely at some people who regarded him as the exact opposite of priceless. Mark is saying, look in the mirror, who are you really like? What is Jesus worth to you? I only have one thing to show us this evening, one beautiful truth from this story, and it's this. Waste reveals worth. Waste reveals worth. Verse 3, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard very costly and she broke the flask and poured it over his head Bethany was outside Jerusalem not in the capital city it was outside so Jesus is in a home outside the place where he was meant to be recognized and loved but the place that he is going to be rejected in the place that he belongs in is not going to welcome him but here outside the city he is loved look whose home he is in Simon the leper he must have been a healed leper a leper that the Lord Jesus himself must have touched and healed for, for there to be people gathered around him and in his, in his house. But it was the home of a person who had been an outcast. Jesus is in an outside town. He is with an outcast person. And now, verse 3, an unnamed woman comes near and does this to him. Women were not permitted to interrupt men at occasions like this unless they were serving food. You see see the outsider themes? Mark's point is that in this place, in this house, and this woman are those from whom we should least expect the, the exemplary display of devotion. But sometimes it is those on the outside with the freshest eyes to see who Jesus is. And what he really brings. This woman takes something, verse 3, doesn't she? Very, very precious. And she spends it on Jesus. She exhausts it on him. There is nothing left of it after she has given it to him. But look at, look at verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like this? Some say she wasted it. She wasted it on Jesus. This jar that she had in her hands, it may not have been a very big jar at all, but 300 denarii was the equivalent to a year's earnings. 20, 30, 40, 50 grand. 
And we know that in this society, women were by and large excluded from wage-earning careers. So it is very possible that this nard was a family heirloom, something that has been treasured and held on to, passed down through the generations for many years. There would have been sentimental value to this as well as monetary value. And she snaps the little neck of the jar and pours it on Jesus' head, a public display of giving the very best and most precious thing that she had and treating Jesus as worth it. He is worth everything to her. Here's the question, friends. Why does she do this? Why does this woman esteem Jesus so much? Why is he worth all of this to her? What, what does this woman see that nobody else here sees? Well, Jesus himself tells us, look at verse 8. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. It's interesting that in Mark's gospel, this woman is unnamed. But in John's gospel, John tells us this unnamed woman was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. She had stood beside Jesus at her brother's tomb. She had seen the Lord Jesus flare his nostrils in anger as he faced death. Knowing that what had happened to Lazarus in the tomb within days was going to happen to him. He was going to enter the grave. And Mary got it. Mary grasped it. Mark's Gospel, chapters 11 to 13, have been all about the abandonment of the temple and the temple's coming destruction. But now Mark chapters 14 to 15 are all about the abandonment of Jesus. Bit by bit, one by one, people are going to defect from him and leave him in varying degrees, group by group, one by one, people are going to turn their back on him and leave him so that at the end Jesus will be left alone crying out, my father, why have you forsaken me? See, for some people, for certain groups, Jesus is worth nothing. Jesus is worth abandoning. He is worth leaving. He's worth getting rid of. He's worth killing. See, we've been so used, haven't we, in Mark's Gospel to sandwiches. Mark tops and tails things. Look at the language in verses 1 to 2, chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And then verses 10 and 11, Judas sees his opportunity. He is now waiting to betray and kill Jesus. Two groups of people for whom Jesus is worth nothing, sandwiched in between with this woman for whom he is worth everything. Look how evil verse 1 is, how treacherous. It doesn't say they hated him so much they wanted him dead. No, no, there is a kind of murderous hatred that grows inside the heart that is wicked, yes, that is evil, that is ugly, yes, but it will not actually ever come to anything. But no, look at verse 1. They hate him so much they are seeking to arrest him by stealth. They, they seek some sly way to have him dead. They are looking for it, planning for it, talking about it, hatching a plan for it. 
And in the midst of this environment, friends, Mary, Mary alone sees the moment that she is in. She grasps the moment that she is in. I want you just to take a step back and imagine for a moment, if your best friend, your your closest loved one, your, your spouse, your child, the person closest to you in the world, was facing execution unjustly, what would you do for them? What would you be willing to spend on them in the final hours of their life? I spoke to somebody on Friday like this, somebody who I hadn't met, somebody in another part of the world, uh, speaking to him about uh, our building project, speaking about what was happening. And in the conversation, he said to me, my wife is dying of cancer. And Scotland is on our bucket list of things to do. We reckon we have 18 months left together. We might come and see you. It's what happens all the time, isn't it? People with not very much money at all, as death enters the horizon, people with not much money at all, take they, they somehow find 10 grand, they take it out of the bank, and they go and spend it, don't they, on a holiday of a lifetime together. Let me ask you, if you saw somebody doing that, if you did that, what would you think of somebody who said to you, what a waste what a waste. Don't, don't you realize that person is about to die? They're going to be gone. What's the point of spending money on them? Why are you taking them out for the most expensive dinner in the world or wasting all that money on a holiday? Is that what we would ever say to someone? No, of course not. It's the opposite, isn't it? The, the closer death encroaches, the greater the value of the life becomes. It's why people who who used to not be able to ever get off the couch, when death enters, they run marathons and climb Everest. And she, she, this woman, Mary, she only, she alone sees that actually in this moment, the worth of the Lord Jesus is coming slowly into crystal clear view because the agonizing process of being abandoned is beginning, is beginning here. Mary sees that a tomb is being cut. Mary sees that a stone is being hewn. She knows there is a shadow in the room. Mary knows a whip is being readied. A stick for a flogging is beckoning. She knows that an instrument of execution is waiting in the wings. The clink of hammer on nail. She can hear it sounding in the background. For a man like a man like that, for the Lord, Mary knows there is no expense you can spare, none. And what Mary wastes reveals what Jesus is worth. Isn't that right? What she wastes reveals what he is worth. Just think about that again for a moment. I don't I don't know if you ever had this. Uh, there's a kind of there's a kind of twee marriage advice that's given out to young couples as they prepare to get married. People will say things to them like, that. they say, the couple that prays together stays together. Well, well, years and years ago, a good friend said to me, he said, let me give you another piece of advice. He said, the couple that wastes time together stays together. The couple that wastes time together stays together. It's true. 
Think about it. I, I love you so much, says the husband to his wife. You are the best thing since sliced bread. Let's spend some time together. And before she can answer, he gets out his diary and he says, Look, I can give you 15 minutes on Tuesday. Actually, on Saturday, I've got half an hour. And before she can even answer, he says, Look, I'll get my PA to be in touch with you. You'll see if she can fit you in. Let me tell you, that couple are not together for long, no matter how patient the wife. I don't know if you know Alan Sugar, uh, Sir Alan Sugar, or is he Lord Alan Sugar now? I think Lord Alan Sugar. Uh, he famously once signed a birthday card for his wife. He signed the birthday card, Lord Alan Sugar. And someone had put it in front of him. He completely forgot who he was writing to. He says it was a very memorable birthday as his wife told him exactly what he could do with his birthday card. But the husband who says to his wife, look, I'm yours, all, I'm yours all weekend long. This weekend is yours. Let's spend the day together. No phone, no work, no email, nothing. Just me and you. Now, how much time you give someone shows their worth to you, doesn't it? What you waste on them shows their worth to you. And for this woman, for Mary, Jesus was worth extravagant devotion. And what looks like waste, what looks like taking something and pouring it down the drain, is in fact the single most clear-eyed thing that somebody in the world could ever do. For there is nothing, nothing in her view more precious than the Lord Jesus himself. She gave because she knew who he was. Do you remember C.T. Studd's famous words? I've said them often, haven't I, from, from this lectern. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. Do you remember what Helen Roosevelt said, the, the medical missionary to the Belgian Congo? you remember what she said? She said, C.T. Studd was nearly right. He came so close to the truth no she said if Jesus Christ was God and died for me then in fact there is no sacrifice that I can make for all that is left is privilege and friends when we do that when we do verse 3 when we waste our lives for Jesus do not expect praise from the world around you People who love money will not understand that Jesus is worth more. People who love money cannot understand that Jesus is worth more. Well, what happens here as the woman does this, verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was it wasted like that? That, 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 that phrase in verse 4, indignantly, the, 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 the idea is that they, they rebuke her harshly. They rebuke her harshly and that, that word means to flare the nostrils in anger. You know when you see a bull or a horse or something like that pawing the ground, snorting with indig indignation, you know when you see an animal like that you'd better get out of their way. That's what these people would have looked like to that woman. Look what you've done. What a waste. We've all either been the frightened children, haven't we? Or, or we've been the ones frightening our own children when, when they come face to face with a parental outcry like that. What have you done? The, the precious object lies broken on the floor. 
And of course, in the moment of harsh rebuke, flaring anger, we reveal what we value most, don't we? The broken object, the damaged TV, whatever it is, or the poor child. In that moment, a value system quickly gets exposed for all the world to see. Usually a value system we want to retreat from when the anger dies down. But here the disciples demean this woman and they demean her gift. And friends, here's the thing. Look how they demean the Lord Jesus as well. To, to demean her gift is, well, necessarily to demean him, isn't it? To, to devalue him, to, to deprioritize the one whom she gave the gift to. For Look what they say. This perfume could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. The poor, Jesus, are more valuable than you. You, you, You're worth something, Jesus. Yes, you're worth something, but you're you're not worth a year's wages. But but the poor, of course, are worth a year's wages. Isn't that what they're saying? Jesus is unworthy of such extravagance, but the poor are very worthy of it. Friends, here in this story, these were not enemies of Jesus saying this. They were his friends. Isn't that astonishing? And here's what they were saying. Jesus is worth something. He's worth something. We're we're quite glad to be here with him in his home, probably for a meal together. He's worth our time. He's worth this evening. He's worth something. Probably most of the disciples were saying this, weren't they? We've, We've seen his ministry. We've seen what he can do. He's worth something, but he's not worth this. He's not worth this. It's true, isn't it, in our world, very few people have a problem with too much wealth or too much sex or too much power or too much influence, but plenty of people have a very big problem with too much religion. A a, a little bit of Jesus in moderation, Christmas and Easter. Yeah, that's fine. A little bit of religion goes a long way. But extravagant devotion to Jesus, all-out love for Jesus, spending a lot on Jesus. Very few people are happy with that. For look what else you could be doing with your money or your life or your time instead. Some of you in this church family, you'll remember that years ago, we had a young couple with us in our church family preparing to go overseas as missionaries. And this young couple were Oxbridge graduates, both of them, uh, really in many ways the world at their feet. And they were interviewed in church about their plans, where they were going to go. I think at that stage they were thinking of heading uh, to the Middle East. They had two young children up the front with them. And that particular morning at church when this young couple were being interviewed, we had some non-Christian friends at church with us that morning. And and our non-Christian friends watched this happening at the front, this couple who were heading off to be missionaries and they said very openly to Angela and I what on earth are they thinking what on earth are they doing and here's what they said they said why are they doing that they look they look so normal and yet here's what they're saying here's what they were saying weren't they what they're about to do is a waste it's a waste 
Look, this is okay, being here with you today on this Sunday morning, singing and praying. They were saying to us, look, you guys, you seem to take it all a bit more seriously than others, but I guess that's okay if you're into that sort of thing. But, but taking your children to a place like that and homeschooling them like that and putting yourself through that and putting them through that, Jesus is worth something, but he is not worth that. He's not worth that. Wonderfully, amazingly, those friends later came to faith. Their entire value system reversed. Do you know what it's like to be the people in verse 4, friends? Have you ever been there? I think we've all been there at some point, haven't we? Just, just a little bit uncomfortable at extravagant devotion to Jesus. I want to, want to encourage us, friends, the IPC, the International Presbyterian church do not ever be so presbyterian or so scottish friends that you are worried when you see people raise their hands in just sheer joy in christ's presence at who he is and what he's done and what he's given to them some people sometimes simply weep in his presence because they cannot believe that they know him and love him and belong to him Sometimes you see people just respond, don't you, with thoughtful, overwhelming generosity and they cannot, they cannot do it quick enough or gladly enough and all because they love the Lord Jesus so much. This is chapter 14, a woman and wealth. Do you remember chapter 12, the widow? What does she do? She drops, here's a woman with, with immense wealth. What, is the, what does the widow do? Two small coins in the temple. Two small coins dropped in the treasury. For if waste reveals worth, then just as much cost reveals value. If waste reveals worth, just as much cost reveals value. The value of a gift to God is in what it costs the giver. Not in the monetary amount. It is not the zeros on the end of the check that reveal the value of the gift to God. The value of the gift is... In what, it, in what it costs the giver. What did Jesus see? He sees the widow putting in her two small coins and other people are dropping in these huge big bags. The money would have slid all the way down in a, a, a clank at the end and, and it cost them nothing. Jesus says, therefore, it has little value. It cost her everything. And so it has great value in God's sight. I wonder if you know that this evening, friends. In the Lord Jesus' sight, an act has value according to its motive and its intent, not its material value. An act has value according to its motive and intent, not the zeros on the end of it. R. Kent Hughes, an American pastor, he tells the most beautiful story. He tells the story of how when he was raising his family, his wife Barbara was given a cardboard decorator recipe box. Does anybody know what that is? Cardboard decorator recipe box. I've never heard of one. He describes it as this lovely, uh, such a beautiful implement that in, in, in his wife's kitchen it was a point of conversation. People would come in and see this. It was a cardboard box that was so beautifully decorated for storing all her recipes. When she was given this gift, it was so stunningly beautiful. She got out whatever device it was she had for storing her recipes and individually wrote out by hand every single recipe she had so that she could file it 
into this beautiful box. All her children saw her do this. They knew that this box was immensely precious to her. And Kent Hughes tells the story that one year on her birthday, some friends called the house, took her out for lunch, and when she returned home, she saw her little boy Kent, same name as his dad, little boy Kent, was standing there in the kitchen, hands behind his back, and she said she could see water dripping from his hands behind his back. She could see out of the corner of her eye that the recipe box was missing from the side of the counter. And Kent said, Mummy, I know you love this box. He pulled it round in front of him, put it in front of him. What he had done was scraped off all the decorations off the box, washed it in water to clean it, filled it with tin foil on, in the inside to make it new for her. He presented this box to her, and inside the box was a single coin, a black plastic alligator, and a picture of himself inside this box to his mum. Kent says, that box has become one of my wife's most treasured possessions. If the house burnt down, that is what she would go and retrieve. Do you know that the Lord Jesus has a lot of strange things in his treasury, doesn't he? A lot of strange things. He has a widow's pennies. He has cups of water in his treasury. Do you remember if you give a cup of water to somebody in need, you're giving it? to me in Jesus' treasury are broken alabaster jars in his treasury are ruined recipe boxes what does Jesus have of yours what does he have of mine see what Jesus says about her verse 8 she has done what she could very few people write six figure checks in life maybe some of us are much closer to the too small copper coins. If that is you, friends, this evening, do what you can. The value of the gift is in the motive and the intent. It is in wasting what you have on the worth of this man, for there is no one like him. Isn't it astonishing, verses 1 and 2, verses 10 and 11, that somebody could look at this man, spend time with him, have him in their presence, be around him year after year, and all you want to do is do away with him. All he has ever done is spoken truth, brought life, beauty, healing, health, happiness, forgiven sins. Mary and Mary alone sees he is heading to a cross. Oh, may God help us to do like her what we can because we know who he is. So may it be for you and for me. Amen.